Okay, so um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for watching over us, for keeping us, for meeting our needs in every way. We've come to you tonight, Lord, that we, our spirits, may be nourished by you, by your word, your truth, that keeps us strong, keeps us empowered, keeps us rejoicing, keeps us in your peace. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. So guide us tonight, Lord Jesus, and teach us, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts, our ears, our understanding. Bless us with wisdom and with knowledge that we may learn from you and all that we learn may be fruitful in our lives. Amen. Okay, so um, Philippians, let's quickly finish off Philippians. I say that and then I'll be talking about it for the next two hours, a few verses, <laughs> but I'll try not to go. Of course, everything we say is relevant. <clears throat> we need to understand what it is we are studying, we are reading, because that's how it's beneficial to us. So I'll go back to verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, which is the final chapter in Philippians, in uh, Paul's goodbye to the, um, well, the end of this letter. It wasn't his final farewell. I want to see his one of his final farewells, if we read uh, chapter 20 of Acts. Very moving, very touching when he told them he was never going to see them again and all that. That was, um, and he warned them about the coming of the evil ones into the church. And we have them now in abundance. So now um, from verse 10 here, Philippians chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now. Um, he was thanking the Philippian um, church for their generosity towards him, their concern for him, for his needs and his travels as he went about doing his work. And so um, he was thanking them for the help they had sent through Epaphroditus. If you remember, we read earlier in an earlier chapter about Epaphroditus' journey to help Paul and how we'd fallen sick and, you know, had um, almost died, but God in his mercy had healed him. And um, so um, he's thanking them, saying that they sent him all those things. I mean, he's not emphasizing his thanksgiving because he needs anything. No, he's just wanting to show his gratitude to them. He said, I know what, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, there's a major lesson for us to learn there, because if contentment was being taught in many of what is called church today, we wouldn't have the infiltration, the terrible infiltration of false teachers that we have now, because it's a very dangerous thing. It's such a sad situation. If you count, I think to find a true church these days, you may all need to count maybe 500, you know, before you find one that is true, particularly across America and Africa, especially Africa. It is so sad that when people have failed in their careers and in anything, their businesses or something, or just wanting lots of money, greed, you know, the next thing to do is establish something and call it church. And they expect to make money from it. And they do make money from it. Stupendous amounts of money, actually, in a lot of situations. And the gospel, you know, is not what you go. Proclaiming the gospel is not what you go into to make money. Serving God is not what you go into to make money. Because for a start, you need to immediately, you know, take your mind off of the world and everything it's got to offer because it is the world that leads people astray. You cannot serve two masters, our Lord Jesus Christ said. 
you cannot serve both God and money or mammon. You know, mammon is the God of money. You know, it's just not possible. You cannot have your foot, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. God is an all or nothing God. You're either all fully dedicated to him or, or, or don't bother at all. Now, he doesn't say we shouldn't work. Of course we have to work. It is God's own ordination. It is his command that we have to work. But where, the, where this zeal for making money, you know, um, goes out of order and gets out of place is what we think we must own everything the world flashes before our eyes. You know, and that is the problem people have, you know, and the false teachers are there saying to them, because you're a Christian, you cannot be poor because the Bible says that um, we, we have got all the heavenly riches in Christ. You know, it's amazing. They will pick up a Bible verse and, 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 and mangle it for their purposes of the foolishness they're speaking about. And they encourage greed. I mean, I've had many say poverty is a sin, sickness is a sin. You can't go, to, you can't have problems. They proclaim this, uh, they teach this wonderful, blissful, happy, go lucky life kind of Christianity. Nothing is farther from the truth. That's not Christianity. <laughs> if we are not suffering or haven't suffered or are not ready to suffer, you cannot be a Christian. Now, it's not our suffering that gets us to heaven. No, or, you know, or gets us salvation. No, but we suffer because we belong to, to, to Christ. Because Satan is running freely in the, world, in, the, in the world. Yes, God gave him that privilege. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it, except we resist him. We have been given the ability to resist him, the power to resist him. And part of this resistance is learning to be content, whatever our circumstance. Because this matter of discontentment is so big. See, I told you I was going to end up talking for two hours in, in this first few verses. But the, the matter of discontentment is a major, major thing that is, is leading to catastrophic you know, fatalities, really, spiritually. Because when people are not content with where they are in life or what they have in life, what God has graciously given to them, considering the fact that none of us are entitled to anything at all from God, we're, you know, human beings, we're nasty, we're horrible, we're sinners. But God redeems some, and over those he has redeemed, he takes charge and he makes us promises like, you know what? I will always meet your needs. I will always be for you. We have a lot of wonderful promises, but not just for this world. What we actually were promised, Jesus, our Lord said very, very clearly in John, um, it's in John 17, um, find out the very verse. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In the, in the other, another version of the Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You know, John 16, 33, actually, sorry. He said, I have told you these things. This is telling us about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in believers. You know how he's going to be with us, teach us, guide us, strengthen us, empower us, all that, encourage us. And then he said, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, we will overcome the world. So now when well, we have people who say they are preachers who are saying that, oh, there's a reason why you've got problems. It's because your enemies are trying to destroy you. It's because some witches are trying to kill you. It's because this is because that. And they're picking out, destroying relationships. You know, the problem is massive. They're destroying relationships by telling people that someone, I mean, I have seen men walk away from their children and wife because they've been told that the wife is a witch or the children are, uh, are, are witches. I've, this is Africa. It's a very, very African thing. But it's all coming under the guise of Christianity, so we must talk about it. And I've seen parents kill their children. I've seen parents go and throw their children in the forest, burn their children alive. It's alarming what has happened because of lack of contentment. 
because of the lies that people have been told, which is against the word. See, this is why we must, we must know the word of God. People are being taken for a ride and being taken slaves, captive to false teachers who are nothing but demonized people. People who are temples of Satan, temples for demons, dehumanizing people, abusing people physically, sexually, financially, mentally, emotionally, in many ways, because the people are being taught you cannot stay in the situation you are. You are supposed to be better off. You would have risen higher than this if you didn't have all those enemies. So you know what? I will deliver you. You need to come from del for deliverance sessions. You need to have all these deliverance sessions. And people are going and those things are happening to them. Dehumanized. You know, they're slapped about, they're kicked about, they're sexually abused, they're manipulated, they're, they are robbed of their possessions and their money, all sorts, because the people don't know, because they've been receiving false teachings that tell them, do not, don't stay in the situation you're in. You shouldn't be in that situation. But one thing we know as believers, and this is what Paul is evidencing here, said, so listen, I've been through all kinds of situations, and I'm sure we all have. I've been through all kinds of situations, and I know how to adjust and survive through it all, whether I have an abundance or whether I have none, nothing. I can, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. People like to use that a lot. It annoys me when I hear people foolishly quote it. I can do all things through. Shut up. It's not just oh, every stupid thing you want to do. This is talking about all things I need to do to, you know, to live for Christ. I can do it all under any circumstance. Pain should not stop us from praising God and still loving God. Hunger shouldn't. Lack of money shouldn't. Because you know what? We have got the greatest thing that God can ever give to mankind, which is the gift of his only begotten son, Christ Jesus. And the rich will die, the poor will die. So what difference does it make? You know, if I decide that because I don't have all the money I think I ought to have, or I would like to have, I'm breaking fellowship with Christ. I've got everything to lose. He has nothing to lose. But we have something money cannot buy, which is our relationship with God. Nobody can pay any amount of money for it. And so I know that he is in charge of the universe. He's in charge of my life. So even though I don't have food today, I may not know where the food will come from for tomorrow. But no, I know he's got my back because I know he's with me. And you'll be amazed at how he sustains us through it all. He will always meet our needs. Whether he meets our wants is another story. Our wants can generally be covetous and greedy, but our needs will be met. That God provides for me during hard times, you know, a few slices of bread is in meeting my need of, of hunger. But then I rather would have liked a bit of steak and chips. Now that's my want. But God is giving me something to keep me sustained. You know, so this is the thing. As believers, this is where we must be a cut above the rest. Quite honestly, we're several cut, we should be several cuts above the rest. Because where the world is restless and they're in this crazy rat race, we see it. People would do anything to gain power and position and fame and money and wealth and all those things. They think that, well, that these are the things that make life. Then they gain all those things and find actually, no, there's nothing to it. You know, They still don't have that satisfaction they're seeking. They don't have that thing, whatever it is that they're seeking. They find that money can supply it. I mean, what is the cause of much evil in the world? It's the lack of contentment, the love of money and power and position. Why are we on the, uh, uh, you know, bordering around World War Three at the moment? Because one madman somewhere thinks he wants to rule more than his own his country is ruling, and you know, so because of that, he's wasting other people's lives and all sorts. 
not just the people he's attacking, but the poor soldiers he's sending to the battle because they've signed up for it, but he sent them into senseless battles. You know, it's all about greed, lack of contentment. I mean, you're president of a country. Is that enough? No, you've got to have other countries under your control. The same way, you know, people who have money, a person has a room. And they don't think it's enough. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with us wanting betterment, but not to the point where we'll do anything to get at it. I always say that's where the distinction lies between a believer and an unbeliever. We, you know, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to better our situation and circumstance. Yes, we're especially, especially if we're willing to, to work for it, you know, not through stealing and coveting what is somebody else's defrauding people, stealing from people, treading on people to get where you want to get. That's the difference between the, the, the God's way of us um, making wealth and the world's way of making wealth. I mean, when you hear people say, I'll do anything to get that thing, that's terrible. We shouldn't be ever be in the position to say we'll do anything to get. What do you mean anything? Anything. That's all. That's all <laughs> the, the demons that hang around society and people and, and in people's minds need to hear. You'll do anything? Good. They throw so many suggestions your way that are godless, you know. So we should be able to adjust in every situation and any situation. Because the thing that really counts is our relationship with God, and nothing changes that. Whether we're hungry or foolish, or, or, or whether we are broke or have lots of money or whatever, whether we're in poor health or good health, nothing should bother our relationship with Christ. So this is what he's saying. So when people in their own selfish ambition and selfish quest in life say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, the look I give people when they say that around me, when I know that they're talking nonsense, when they're saying it with regard to their own personal selfish interest, you know, I can never really hide the disgust in my eyes. Like, please don't, don't, don't abuse scripture. Paul was not living in a mansion, enjoying life when he said it. He was imprisoned in chains when he said that. Okay, so we move on from verse 14. Yet it was good for of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so he continues in his thanksgiving and praise of them, encouraging them as we all should be encouraged to be generous towards one another, particularly those in the family of God. You know, the Bible teaches us that. We should look up for one another always. We should always be there for one another. We, we, we don't have to wait until we ask one another. If we sense as a brother or sister in need, we should rise up to it and share what we have. We're not people who covet things. Look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> when the believers just came into the faith and out of their sheer joy and um, understanding and appreciation of the new life they had just received in Christ, they found that everything they'd been doing before was useless and futile. So, um, Acts 2 from 42, I'll read. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
can't say that met, you know most of the churches today selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need isn't that amazing that's uh, verse 40 45 selling their possessions and goods now when they were of the world under the world dictate they too were collecting stuff and hoarding stuff now please i'm not saying there's something wrong with saving and you know no there's nothing wrong but hoarding to the detriment of your brothers and sisters is not an acceptable thing before god it's not good enough you know i have an abundance i've got it all i've got a lot i've got so much god has blessed the works of my hands so much that i have i have a lot and I've got savings and savings that I'm amassing and I'm accumulating things and acquiring things. And I see a brother or sister in, in, in trouble, you know, in the fellowship. This is a brother and sister in the family of God. And I just ignore them. Or anybody else that you're able to, to, to help. No, that is not a, 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 that's not allowed. That's, that's not something that's pleasing to God. And these people, they have been like that before. But all of a sudden now, they've got bigger family, family of Christ. All the believers were together in common. It was believers gathering all, to, all, all the time, praying, breaking of bread, enjoying this amazing new fellowship. And they knew that amongst them were people who were poor slaves and all that would be among in the fellowship. You know, if we read the scriptures, well, we'll find that, you know, they had all the slaves and all sorts of things as well among them, all kinds of people, high and low society. And so those who are rich, who had had acquisitions and who had owned, you know, lands and bought lands and, you know, had big savings, they began to share what they had because now they found life that was truly life. Yeah. I mean, their giving didn't render them poor, did it? No, of course not. You know, again, in chapter four from uh, verse 32 of chapter four says of Acts, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Nobody claimed anything they had was that. This is my house, my cars, my horses, my sheep, my donkey, my money. They weren't like that. Everything, they left everything open to, to the Lord to use as he willed. And this is how it should be in the fellowship. Tragically, it's not like that in most places now. It still is. I can testify to our church because I know what they did when we when our house burnt down in, in, in June 2021. What they did within a week was amazing. The monies they put together, the, the offers of all sorts of things, even a refrigerator. You know, someone even offered mugs and things, you know, anything. They were saying, do you need this? Would you like that? Would you want this? And even when they didn't ask, they put so much money together and just handed it to, well, to, 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 to me, you know, at the next service. This is our believers, truly. We know there's a need to be met and we rise up together to do it because we have one heart and one mind as the people did. Now, in most places that call themselves churches. And it's such a shame because they're thriving. We've got more of them than true churches. And the reason that has happened is because people have turned a blind eye. Everybody's minding their own business. Nobody's speaking out. Nobody's saying anything. We just let these charlatans get on with their business. Everybody's in there now with a different agenda. The pastors, they has got no interest in anybody's salvation <laughs> because he's not even saved himself or herself. You've got female ones. So they don't care what happens to people's souls. They care. Their target, their aim is for the people's pockets and to have the people underneath them so that they can step all over them and have authority over these people and gather followers for themselves, slaves to unrighteousness. It's very sad. It's very sad. We, we know we have been given patterns and examples of what the church, Christian church, ought to be. And we will do well to follow. In the book of Acts, that's where we know how the church was. And all those letters to them, or to, to, to the believers, also show us the picture of what Christianity ought to be and should be practically, you know. So now um, he said, yep, no other 
church he had with him when he was, you know, in his first travels and all that, except these people in, in Philippi. And um, he was so, so grateful. He said, you know, what you've done is commendable to God. It will be rewarded by God because God will meet all your needs. That's another thing people like to use in their selfish seeking. God will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And when they're saying it, I can assure you they've got the, they, they, they got the dollar sign in their eyes, expecting God to deliver the miracle money and things. It's shocking. This comes going on and <laughs> that are called Christianity. People expecting financial breakthrough is what they're praying all the time. Financial breakthrough and all sorts of miraculous breakthrough and financial and, and uh, miraculous money or something like that. A whole lot of nonsense are being sold as ideas to people. And people are following and buying. It's ridiculous. But Christianity is so far from those things. It's got nothing to do with all those. I mean, these people, they, they give what they have to meet other, the needs of others. And God makes sure that they don't lack. That's how it is. We do not become poor because we, we're generous towards people in need. It doesn't work that way. God will make sure that we're amply supplied to continue to do the good works we do it to the glory of his praise. So verse 21 to 23, the end of it, he said, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. You know what catches me there and all the greetings to everyone and all the saints, you know, um, the idea of sainthood in the, in the Bible for a start is completely different to what the world sees as saints, you know, who are made or created by the Pope, the usually dead people, you know, who, who, some people who have served as priests under his jurisdiction, and then 200 years later, <laughs> after, after they died, they, their name comes up that they did some good things. They've got criteria. They need to have done some good things. They need to have done this, done that. Then he be, is it what they call it? Beatification ceremony. And the Pope declares this is Saint Augustus. The guy died 150 years ago. What are you talking about? No, saints are people who are believers. Every believer has been converted from sinner, which is what we all are by default, to saint. So we're all saints. So he's saying all the saints and their greetings. There's no special sect of people who are holier than everybody else. No, the believers. We are all saints. And um, yeah, so the, the one that really caught me, attention, is where it says belonging to, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar's household. As Romans, the people who were unbelievers. But remember at the start, in the first chapter, he said that because of his chains, because he didn't stop proclaiming the gospel of Christ and telling people about Christ, um, because of that, he said, many in Caesar's household had turned to Christ. And the gospel was spreading like fire, even though he was in prison, but because of this testimony of Christ, where the gods and the, the household of Caesar, I'm not saying Caesar himself, didn't say Caesar himself, so those, those who belong to Caesar's household, the servants maybe, the centurions, the gods, whatever, the soldiers, said, you know, some, many of them turned to Christ because this man is sitting here, you know, is beheading imminent at any time, yet he continues to praise and rejoice. And they must have said, this is amazing. They want to know what it is about this Christ. And of course, that's sort of the opportunity every, every preacher, every servant of God seeks, any opportunity to proclaim and testify to, to the person of Christ Jesus and the grace that comes to mankind through him. So yes, he had a lot of converts. He made a lot of converts to Christ, a lot of the saints, you know, um, through his proclamation, the testimony. That's what we call testimony. You know, in the roughest of situations, whereby uh, uh, people, most people would have been 
you know, miserable and sad and concerned about how and when they were going to get out of there and how they could get out of there. He wasn't concerned about all that. He continued to glorify God, you know. He continued to glorify God. You can imagine that in this age, if he, if, if it were this, one of those fecal Christians we have in this age, in prison and all that, they're not even in prison. They're cursing out enemies all the time. They have a, an alleged church service, cursing their enemies, asking people to die by all kinds of stupid ways, commanding God uh, on how to destroy their enemies, giving him ideas, kill them by fire, kill them by thunder, keep them there. <laughs> as though God will take stupid, evil commands or instructions from man. You know, it's terrible. So that's Philippians for us, the epistle, the rejoicing epistle from Paul the Apostle, encouraging us to rejoice always. You know, a man who devoted his life from when he met Christ to the service of Christ and died, suffered in the service of Christ, died in the service of Christ because he was too grateful for the grace he had received. And we should all be like that, overwhelmed with praise because of what Christ has done. It's an amazing thing when you think of all the number of people in the world and who pass through this world to think that you, you know, I, you have been singled out by name by God for his salvation to be his own forever. It's an amazing privilege, an amazing privilege. So we praise God for the ministry of Paul the Apostle. And I move on to the ministry of John the Apostle. So first John, we turn to first John. I like it when I'm working, when I'm able to work to schedule. I was, uh, the plan was to finish Philippians and move on to first John. And um we can do that. And I'm pleased with myself. <laughs> so first John chapter one. And it starts that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. I emphasize word because it's written in capital W. And the word of life being Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Another joyful man. <laughs> it's a joyous thing to belong to Christ. So now, John, um, if you remember in his gospel, his gospel was written so that we would know that Christ is the savior, the son of God, Christ is God. He completes he, he um, yeah, he concludes that gospel. Let me read those last few words so we get a good perspective. Um, right. Um, and the final chapter. Where is it? Where it says that you know is written this so that we can know. Yes. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was the purpose of John's writing, his, uh, his, um, his gospel, to prove to people, to testify to people that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God. Jesus is savior. And only through him will we have eternal life. So now he starts um, his um, epistle. Oh, sorry, my, I need to get my charger, my 
laptop charger. If you excuse me for a moment, please. Thank you. Right. So, um, he now starts this epistle to the believers by saying that that which was from the beginning, who was from the beginning? Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, John was the same one who wrote, started his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the beginning of, that was the beginning of the gospel. So again, it's testifying to the person of Christ, the deity of Christ. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He was saying, he was telling the believers, like, listen, because don't forget, um, at this time, Christ was no longer in the world. He had his witnesses, the apostles. You know, from what I've gathered, this particular epistle was written about 50, 60 years into Christianity. You know, 50, 60 years AD. So now, he was saying to them, like, listen, I was a living, I am a living witness. I was there when Christ came. I sat with Christ. I saw him. I walked with him. I touched him. We felt it. You know, he was a living sacrifice. I mean, sorry, witness. And this is part of the biblical um, criteria for apostleship. An apostle of Christ. It had to be someone who had seen the resurrected Christ. Now, people might say, yeah, but Paul the apostle didn't. Paul saw him three times. Christ made, showed himself to, to Paul the apostle three times. And we can testify uh, to Paul's ministry by everything he taught and said and did. You know, God gave him, empowered him. In the same way I empowered the other apostles so that people would know that he was sent of God. So now, but nowadays you have people who claim they're apostles. For one thing, as far as I'm concerned, we no longer have that ministry. But people will still insist they're apostles, but they have nothing to show for it. And then, you know, and we have a lot of false witnesses, you know, all those false as I say, all of them, all of them without fail, always have. A, a, a sensational story to tell you about when Christ came to beg them, you know, to, to serve him, you know, when Christ appeared in their car, all of a sudden they're sitting next to them in the car and pleading with them to, to serve him. And when Christ appeared in their bedroom, when their bathroom, when they were having tea, also some nonsense like that. But Jonathan, listen, I was there. I was with him. I saw him. I talked to him, I walked with him, I felt him, he was real. And the reason he started with this, the major reason he started with this, was this sort of opening, was because in those days, it, it, it's not a new thing that the word of God is being maligned and Bible verses are being misused. It was happening then in those days that people were taking the word of God and doing, mangling it as they do, manipulating it for their own purposes. But then there was a group of people called the Gnostics at that time who were gaining a lot of ground. You know, people love to follow sensation and people love anyone who claims to have superior knowledge. That's why people who, who so-called Christian will be running around consulting with some so-called prophet or pastor to ask what tomorrow is in store for them. I've got this job interview. What do you think? Oh, I want to travel to uh, wherever next month. Do you think it's safe for me to go? People don't walk in faith. They have no clue what it is to trust God. They want a man to tell them. Is this the woman I should marry and all that? And, um, you know, uh, all sorts of things. Where should I go to school? What should I do this? What? I haven't had one say where we had God to tell him where to buy his Christmas turkey for Thanksgiving. Now, that was a bit disappointing because this is a man I love so much. He's a brother I really love so much, you know, and he's quite elderly, you know, Bible teacher and pastor. Does a great job. 
But when I said that story about her, I said, Lord, tell me where to go at my Christmas Thanksgiving turkey. I thought, don't be ridiculous now. God's got more important things to do. I know he does get it. God does direct small things, even small events in our lives. But picking out a supermarket, I don't know. Well, anyway, you know, people have a lot of funky testimonies about their seeing Christ and all that. But you know what? We see God and Christ today through the eyes of our faith, through the written word, through the written word. I will not accept anybody coming up to me to say, God told me to tell you this. No, because God communicates with me too. God communes with me too. And he does through his word, especially when what they're telling me is not in, aligned with scripture. I'm not saying God cannot send us to one another. Yes, he can. But you will know because it will be something that the Lord has himself told you first. You know, either through the written word or through your own personal conscience or commune, you know, so that when somebody then says to you, you know what, you, when you ask someone, this is some step I, I want to take. What do you think? We don't say, what is God saying about it? What you ask is, what do you think? And if the person, it's always good for us to seek counsel, godly people, people we know, know the word of God and who love God and worship Christ. Otherwise, we, we, we're going to get thrown off balance. So such a person, being also a fellow believer, is should have or would have wisdom. So they can say to you, no, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. And then you say, you know what? That's funny because that's what I thought too. You know, that's how you know God is directing your path. But not someone tell you specifically, yeah, give me the name of your boss. And I'll tell you if that's the company you should be working in and all that. God doesn't do such petty things. I mean, it's so stupid nowadays that this God of the charlatans or their gods, I don't even, I can't, I don't believe they've got one. Their gods are such busybodies. They get involved in politics. Who's going to win what election? They get involved in football matches. <laughs> Who's going to win what cup? We're talking of Almighty God here, maker and ruler of the universe, of the entire heavens and the earth. And only what it concerns me about is which rogue is going to win the next Nigerian election. I don't think so. You know. So there you go. John was able to testify. This is one whom we know what we're talking about. So be your interest to listen to what we say. We know. We were with him. You know. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Who or what is the eternal life? Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the eternal life. You know, which we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So you may have fellowship with us, so we can be in agreement, so we can be in this faith, sharing this wonderful thing together. And our fellowship, that is our collective fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Excellent. He's writing. They're writing. They say we, probably the company of other um, saints that with, with whom he was working. And so we write this to so make our joy complete, that we're sharing with you this goodness. We're sharing with you a testimony of the eternal life, of the living word. And, you know, because through that and in all that, we have this fellowship with the Father and with the Son. That's whom we have fellowship with. And this is the beautiful thing when we come together as believers. You know, we when we read in Acts and it said all the believers were one in mind. They were all of one accord. They have. They were one in mind and in spirit. That's a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Because you're united in purpose. And I thank God 
that you know after so many years i found i found the, uh, the 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 right fellowship to be in been there quite a few years now but the fact is when we gather on 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 a sunday and during bible study and prayer meetings and all that it's always for one purpose to to glorify christ we are one in mind and spirit and whatever other else issues we have we may discuss with one another after the fellowship meeting. Like, so what's the situation now? So what's that situation now? So how are you faring now? So what's this? But at the time of worship, it's all about Christ. Every prayer, every song, every word of encouragement is all about glorifying Christ. And then as part of our glorifying Christ, we pray for one another also. Uphold one another in, in, in prayer because this is what the Lord wants of his children. That glorifies him. When we share each other's burdens, when we carry, you know, when, when we share each other's problems, when we lift up one another before the Lord, take you in my eyes off myself and my personal issues and lifting up another brother or sister before Christ. Now, I'm hoping we're all praying for the brothers and sisters in Ukraine, but not just them, for all the people of Ukraine at this particular point in time, because they're going through difficulties. And the Christians there, they're going through a lot, but they're there praying in the underground bunkers and in, meeting in their homes and glorifying, singing. I saw some few touching videos yesterday of them meeting, singing, praising God, saying, we know you hold us fast, Lord Jesus Christ, and all that, even though there's sounds of bombings around them everywhere. We've got Christians uh, uh, being beheaded still everywhere, being dispossessed, going through all kinds of sufferings, you know? So, and we should be in that fellowship with them, praying for them, wherever they may be, whoever they may be, because we all jointly have this fellowship with God, our Father, and with Christ, our Savior. Okay. And he says, we write this to make our joy complete. This is how we feel fulfilled. This is how we feel elated and joyful in, in our life of faith in Christ. So now from verse five, I'm going to finish chapter one, then we'll leave it there for today. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Light and darkness. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. The kingdom of this world is a kingdom of darkness. That's why people are how they are, full of sin and every kind of evil and wickedness. But we walk in the light. We have been converted. There's a lot, you know, of many ways to describe Christians. We spoke earlier about being converted from sinner to saint. We've also been converted from darkness to light. Jesus, our Lord himself, said, you are the light of the world. Amazing, isn't it? You are the salt of the earth. Light, you are the light of the world. We should bring truth. People should see Christ in us. People should see the truth in us. Isn't it amazing? We live in a world where every man's own ideas is his own truth. But there is only one source of truth, and there is only one truth, and that is in Christ Jesus. But people call, if it comes up, you know, calling themselves all kinds of purveyors of truth and all sorts of ideologies, which lead to nothing, nothing, leads to nothing. It does not give them the answers they want for life. doesn't give them any, this so-called truth, don't give them any purpose for being, any reason for living, any holds, no promises, nothing. The only source of truth that actually gives life and gives us strength and power and peace, especially peace, is the word of God, you know. So we are in the light. We are the light of the world. You know, let your light so shine, the Bible tells us. Let your light so shine so that when the people who accuse you of wrongdoing, 
will praise God on the day he appears because they will know you have spoken the truth. Now, whether people believe it or not is not an issue, but it is for us to proclaim the truth. So, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is no evil in God. There's no wickedness in God. There's no sin in God. And we ought to be the same because we are his children, because he's redeemed us for that very purpose, that we may be converted from darkness to light. And so he says, if we claim to have fellowship, if condition, and that's the thing, you see, because that's what many people say. They say they're Christians. They say they're believers. They say they're born again. But you look at their lives and you think, what are you talking about? To whom do you bear resemblance? We're supposed to be like Christ. So a person who is standing and cursing out all their enemies and hoping and wishing they would die, how much of that did we hear from Christ? He proclaimed life and gave life. And he is the eternal life and gives eternal life. So to whom do we bear resemblance when we say? So he says, if, if is always a condition. If we claim to have fellowship with him, oh, I'm a Christian, born again and all that, yep. Yet walk in the darkness. We live for the world. We live as the world. Now we live in the world. There's nothing we can do about that. I remember Paul said that somewhere where he said, um, look, we cannot live as the world lives. I'm not asking you to leave, uh, to not mix with the people of the world, he said, because in that case, you will need to leave this world. <laughs> he said, but what I'm saying is, do not associate with the brother, you know, who says he's a believer, yet lives as one of the world, lives in darkness, exactly what John is saying here. You know, we cannot say that we're believers. We cannot say we're people of the light, but walk in darkness. It's, it's a contradiction in terms. It's a contradiction in terms. And we're told that the Bible teaches us through the epistles, don't accept a brother who's like that. Correct them in love. I'm not saying elbow them. In fact, we're told correct them two times, three times, and after that have nothing to do with them. Let them regret their actions. Let them understand that it's not acceptable, but is the fellowship doing that? We absorb anything and everything that comes along now. You know, we cannot not mix with the people of the world. How will we testify about Christ? Oh, I'll tell you this. I, I went out uh, on Saturday for a meal with um, a, a colleague and his wife, and then they had some other friends that stumbled across to join us. Anyway, now I was the only believer there, clearly. And, we, and the matter of this Ukrainian war came up. And they were expressing fear about uh, Putin pressing his nuclear button, which is a threat he has made. <laughs> it is a threat he's made that if the Western powers get involved in this war, um, he wouldn't hesitate. He's going to unleash such mayhem and terror that the world has never known. In other words, you know, he said he had his nuclear button close by and all that. So they were saying, oh, it's going to be terrible. And they were speaking as though, you know, we've all got to be afraid of this because what if that happens? So I said, they said, oh, they said, that'll be the end of the world. That's it. We're all gone. We'll all be finished in no time. So I said, no, that's not going to be the, the, the end of the world, actually. And they stopped to listen to me. I said, no, no, no. He may cause a lot of damage with his nuclear buttons. And they all may, with their nuclear weapons, cause a lot of damage if they get into this war. Third World War, if World War III should happen. I said, but nobody, no man has the power or the authority to bring the world to an end. So the world won't end. There'll be damage, yep, but the world won't end. And they're still looking at me. And I said, because I've read the Bible and in there, God tells us the end of all things, and it's not anybody's nuclear weapon. No man can end the world. And silence fell upon our table. And, um, you know, the next person who spoke wasn't me, because me, I was sitting there enjoying the moment of, I know something nobody knows, but you can know each other if you want to. Well, the next person who picked up another conversation after this uh, awkward period of silence changed the subject completely. We, we stopped talking about Ukraine and its war. <laughs> but there you go. See, 
this is part of the peace that the, that we have in the word of God. And it's such a beautiful thing to be privileged to know God's mind because God has told us his mind. Now, an unbeliever will pick up this Bible and still not see what I saw in there. Although it's written in, you know, plain language that we can all understand, but because they do not have the Holy Spirit, because they are dark, they're so, they're in the darkness. Even their understanding is darkened still. So they can't understand. And that's why the Bible tells us that the, um, uh, the unbelieving man is, um, cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to him because he has no understanding. Isn't the darkness, you know? So now you're told if you claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now that should not be the character of a believer. Living in lies and not walking on the truth. I'll have, you know, such a person's Christianity should be questioned because if you're still walking in the lie, if you're lying rather, and still walking in the darkness, not walking in God's truth, then what is the evidence? How are you born again? How are you a Christian? Because a Christian is a believer. So what have you believed? That's the question. You know, so he says, um, such people don't know what they're talking about. In other words, that's what he's saying. They're, they're not Christians. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Exactly, because God will not commune with darkness. God loves us. He despises our sins. We cannot have fellowship with him if we are perpetually sinning deliberately sinning, not to the accidental sin, not the occasional sin when we get carried away with something. But we live as the world, perpetually in darkness, doing what we want, how we want, without any regard for the word of God, like a little obedience to it. But it says, if we walk in the light, as he is on the light, because that's where he's led us. Christ has set our feet on the narrow path. But if we want to walk the broad path that the world is walking, we cannot cling to our fellowship with it. He says, if we click, if, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If, again, conditional. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Exactly. When we come out of the darkness, the lies, the deception of this world, which teaches us nothing but selfishness and discontent and selfish ambition and everything else. And we come out in, we repent, we turn to Christ, we're in the light, and he says we are then the light. He declares us to be light because he is light. And he cannot have fellowship with the darkness. We need to come in repentance first. And what he says, and so the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. We are forgiven when we come. We come with our sin burden. Yeah, we come shrouded in our darkness. But now we've seen the light that is Christ and we run to him. We turn to him. And he takes away our darkness totally because he paid that price on the cross of Calvary. So that's what he's saying. We have fellowship with one another in the household of God. All of us who are believers and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. At the time we come, we're forgiven. And as we continue to live our Christian lives in the world, before we're taken to the place of perfection when we leave this world, we are forgiven our sins. Not a license to keep sinning, but that we have a father who loves us unconditionally. And we are to love him back unconditionally too. So now, if we, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Okay, so now, if we claim to be without sin, you'll be surprised. I mean, I have personally had people have told me, you know, when, we've, when um, I've said to them, in turning to, to Christ, you need to turn to Christ for forgiveness, Blah, 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 blah. You know, message of the ghost and go. I don't need forgiveness. I've never heard a fly in my life. 
okay. <laughs> never killed anyone. I've never done this. I've never done that. People testify to their own greatness and goodness. But the Bible says such a person is a liar. Because the Bible teaches somewhere else, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one, there is none righteous, not one. The righteousness we have even as children of God, as the saints, is that of Christ that covers us. It's not our own righteousness. There's nothing righteous about us. This is the righteousness of Christ imputed to us that makes God see us as righteous. And then we begin to live up to that that we have attained. We have attained righteousness in Christ and through Christ, from Christ. So we start living up to that calling we have received. We read that in Philippians, you know. So we start living righteously. Righteous living really means living right before God. Righteous, doing what is right in the eyes of God. You know, we begin to, we leave the darkness and start to walk in the light. So, yeah, anyone who claims we, they're without sin says, uh, deceive themselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And that's no use. God hates lying. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God that, yep, it is true. You've said that I'm a sinner. It is true. I'm a sinner. I mean, people say, I've never hurt a fly. I've never done this. Never stolen. Never lied. Never. St- okay. 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 But have you glorified God all your life? Have you walked with him? Have you walked in his truth? And to that, every human being born under the sun can answer yes, if they've been truthful. Because by default, it is yes. We're born into sin. The sin of Adam and Eve, which we inherited, just like we inherit Christ's righteousness now. We inherited Adam and Eve's sin, Adam and Eve's sin, rather. And so nobody is born righteous. Nobody. Only Christ was, you know. And that's because it didn't come from the seed of a man. The rest of us, we come out of sinful men. And so we remain until we turn to Christ. And when we do, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. So gracious, so loving, so, you know, so merciful. He's grateful, faithful, and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, which is exactly what we get. That's why we are born again. We are given new life in Christ. We're, that that um, process of new birth is by the Holy Spirit. He fills us, washes us, that sanctification, you know, we're cleansed. We're justified. That's the forgiveness. It's not because we did anything just. We're justified. We're declared guilt-free, sin-free by God. Only he can <laughs> because we've come to Christ. And we've admitted that, yes, Lord, I believe you when you say I'm a sinner. Now I, I need your forgiveness. I need you as my savior. I like to think we've all gone past that level, but this is explaining to us what it is, you know, we have been through or should go through for those who are repentant, you know. He's faithful and just to forgive uh, and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And that, my, 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 my dear brothers and sisters is terrible if we have to <laughs> we're making god out to be a liar i don't know what you're talking about what do you mean i'm a sinner i've never heard a fly i've never stolen anything never lied against anyone and that's there can be no truth in that every little child lies nobody teaches a child how to lie i know some people do but <laughs> by default a little child when they do something horrible even when they're just toddlers just learning to talk they do something horrible and they'll deny it or do something horrible and run away because they know they did something nasty. And this is a one and a half year old. They bite you and then they run off or they do something horrible and then avoid your, avoid your, your, your look because they know what they've done is wrong. So, you know, we all, John is saying to us, listen, we say we're of the light. Let's walk in the light. Let's leave the darkness. We cannot claim we have fellowship with Christ and walk in the darkness. 
We cannot claim we're not sinners. And we come in to justify ourselves before God. That's what it means. We say, I've never sinned in my life. I'm not a sinner. No, we are redeemed sinners, ransomed sinners. And for that, we're so grateful to the Lord because without the cross, there's no forgiveness. But we thank him because he paid the price for our sins. So when I say now I'm a righteous person, it's not because I don't sin or because I cannot stumble. It's because I know that Christ paid the price for all my sins, past, present, and future. And that's the test, that's the assurance we have. But for us to say outrightly, no, I don't, I'm not guilty of any sin before God. I've never done anything wrong in my life. We're taking God to be a liar. And as long as we do that, we're perishing our sins. Remember what you well, those who do that perish in their sins because we've gone past that level. Remember what Jesus said. I'm going to close with this. When I was speaking to the Pharisees and all these days, during his ministry, he said, you know what? If you had admitted that you were blind, I would have healed you. But now that you claim you can see, you will perish in your sins. And he said, I did not come for those who are well. I came to to deliver the sinners, you know, from their sins and heal them of their sins. So that hum- humility, that admission, humbling ourselves is really very important, you know. And this is where a lot of people fail to receive the grace of God through Christ. Their pride and their ego will not let them admit that they need a savior and they die in their sins. We thank God for the grace that we have received. So, Lord Jesus, we give you praise and we give you glory for all we have learned from you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for a wonderful salvation that um, goes beyond anything we can understand or, or, or describe. It's just wonderful, Lord, and we're so thankful. Thank you. Thank you for keeping us in the light. Thank you, Lord, for shining your light upon us and through us and declaring us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And Lord, we ask that we be empowered, O Lord, grant us more grace, more power and understanding and knowledge of your ways and your will and your word, your truth, to be able to live up to that most amazing calling of being light in the darkness of this world and salt in the evil and bitterness and and, and, and pain of this earth. May we live to your glory, Lord bringing you glory in every way and in everything. Be with us, O oh Lord, as we, go, uh, as we go away for another week into our various ways. Bless all our homes. Keep us safe. Watch over us. Meet our needs because you are our Father and we trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, all. Lovely to have had you here again.